0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace in the name of the one for whom we wait, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever daydreamed about what heaven will be like? I'd honestly be surprised if anyone said no, because it's definitely one of those things that everyone must do at some point. Jesus' parable in Matthew's Gospel paints a picture of the kingdom of heaven, however abstract it may seem. But this description is probably nothing like you dreamed or imagined. Rather, it's a complicated picture of a time of waiting for a wedding banquet to begin. But you don't know when that will happen. Perhaps those who had planned to get married this year would understand this dilemma, not knowing when their wedding banquet will actually be able to happen. Or for many of us to understand, it's like going to a medical appointment scheduled for a specific time. But then you go and you spend an ungodly amount of time in a waiting room so long that it goes well past the scheduled appointment time but it's complicated because just like our gospel, no one knows the true day or hour when we will be called in for that appointment. But all joking aside, okay, maybe not all joking, but that one for now. Because of the complex nature of things like medical scheduling and the effects of the coronavirus on the world, waiting should be expected and practiced with patience. The same is true for our waiting for the second coming of Jesus. But waiting doesn't imply that we sit around complacently, but rather can do much to prepare ourselves for what the coming of Christ means for this world. And yes, we will get tired. We will all fall asleep, as all the bridesmaids did, even though some were more prepared. But still, we are called to live our lives in this world now before Christ has even come, like we are ready for Christ to be here now. That we are already living our lives like Christ is already here now. To live our lives for the other, for the most vulnerable among us. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I lamented about the gospel passage not lending itself to my sermon as focusing on something like stewardship, even though the sermon itself wasn't on didn't have that focus, I pointed it out as a way of saying that I was glad I hadn't been tasked with writing a stewardship sermon. But in the US, this time of year it is observed traditionally as stewardship season with the implied focus on the meaning and call in the life of a congregation. And although that hasn't been the practice necessarily here at BIC, I thought, why not? Why not work this into the conversation of this sermon? But the trouble is, these readings are much more challenging for a stewardship sermon than the ones I joked about last time. Because when most hear the word stewardship, big currency signs flash in their mind's eye, whether it be a euro sign or a dollar sign or the British pound. And as cartoony as it sounds, it's what most people think of immediately when this word is uttered in the church. But traditionally, that cartoon image comes up when someone comes by a lot of money. Because perhaps you're thinking of money in a stewardship context. Your currency signs also have wings, and it's flying away from you. Meaning that you think the only time we talk about stewardship as a church is when we are asking you to give your money away, to give it to the church. Because giving of your financial wealth is no small practice, no small consideration. It is a great thing, and it's something that takes great courage and great faith. And really, every time we mention this word stewardship and make it the focus of our fall season, we don't do it lightly, and we make sure that we understand it well. Because stewardship is defined as the act of being a steward. And a steward is someone who manages the resources of someone else. They do not own everything they have, but simply steward or direct those things where the owner wishes or where the owner desires. So if as Christians we believe that God is creator of all, ourselves included, then we should consider ourselves as stewards of God's resources. God wants to use what we have for the good of all. But being a faithful steward doesn't mean we have to sacrifice ourselves and not use anything that we are managing for our own well-being. Faithful stewardship begins with a proper understanding of how much you need, how much I need, and yet how much others need around me. Case not in point, our gospel parable today of the ten bridesmaids. Unfortunately, we don't see a community gathered who is generous and willing to share the oil from one candle when the person next to them runs out. Because as with all of our readings today, the theme that resonates is our readiness and our preparedness for the coming of Christ. Being that I've made this a stewardship sermon, I wish I could say that when the bridesmaids awoke, all of them, remember, and that some were without oil in their lamps, those who had an abundance shared some of their oils so that they could all light their way to the wedding banquet. Instead, we see parables that seem only to care about teaching us about our readiness for Jesus' coming. What if if about being ready means to make sure that those who aren't ready around us are ready as well, giving them some of our oil, helping them to be prepared? When it seems that readiness should be defined as an act of sharing oil with others who don't have any and that we'll still have plenty for ourselves. I don't know about your experience with children in your life, but this has been my understanding with kids, my own kids and kids in congregations I've served previously. They understand generosity well. Granted, they go through their phases of wanting everything for themselves, That they surprise you more than adults do in this world with their generosity. When I see my kids eating their Halloween candy, so excited to indulge in this sweet treat at the end of the day, I'm surprised but overjoyed when they want to share some with me as well. They know very well what it means to be good and faithful stewards of what God has given them and not just in their Halloween candy. Every Sunday, when we engage in learning with each other during the children's sermon or they spend time in Sunday school, we see the beauty of their souls shine. The gifts God has given them to brighten the world certainly brings a smile. And overwhelming feelings of joy to our lives. Perhaps that Old Testament reading from the prophet Amos has the most to teach us about stewardship. Even though it seems dark and dreary, painting the day of the Lord or the coming of Christ as about judgment rather than joy, it is a passage that seeks to demolish false expectations so that God so that God's people can recognize the gifts already given them and participate more fully in the salvation that has come for them. In other words, Amos wants people to recognize the gifts God has already given so that others may experience those gifts as well. Faithful stewards use what gifts God has given them in the here and now rather than assuming greater gifts are yet to come. We use these gifts to take care of those in our world that need us the most. God has gifted us with enough for the time being. The power of the Holy Spirit to take us out of our deepest sorrow, to instill in us a faith that will help us to endure any trials of this life, so that we can do the work of God here and now, where the need is here and now. We meet that need in ways sometimes like our financial offerings. This is true. But we also meet the ministry needs of this community, of this congregation, through our gifts of music that you heard today, through teaching, through visiting, through friendship, and so much more. So my question for all of you, for all of us, Does God want you to be generous in giving of what you have and why? It is the prayer of our children every time they witness to us their beautiful generosity. It is the very prayer of our maker that we can be as aware as our children about what God has blessed us with and respond in faithful and life-giving ways through ways of stewardship by sharing with those most vulnerable among us. This is what it means to be joyful and generous. This is what it means to worship our God. This is what it means to live like Jesus is already come again. I, for one, am so grateful to our children for reminding us of this message every single Sunday. Thanks be to God for their faithful stewardship witness. Amen.